Um, T.S. Eliot famously wrote, where is the life we have lost in living? Can any of you relate with that? I mean, you don't have to answer. If you want to, you can. But as you ponder the years, as they roll by, one right after another, here we are now in September. We're in the fall season. We now have our our pumpkin spice flavorings. Uh, and some are very gifted in the area of pumpkin spice. Some pumpkin spices taste a little bit more chemically. Um, but uh, the bottom line is life just seems to roll by, does it not? And then you look back and you take stock of things. And, and like T.S. Eliot, you can think, hey, where's the life we have lost in living? Well, the beauty in it being people who are called of God to live set-apart lives for his purposes is there's wonderful transcendency. There's majesty in the development of the fullness of the Christian life. And, and we can not lose our life as we live it out like most do, sadly. And even in some cases with us, as we go through the ups and downs of life, we can feel that way. S. Lewis Johnson, who was a famous professor of theology, famous, he was a well-known theologian um, from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's, he passed on, he's now with the Lord. Uh, he's been there for, what, 15 years, give or take. But he made a comment to me that struck me in a sermon that he gives on the prologue to the epistle of 1 John. He said, part of what we're doing here in understanding the doctrine of Christ and fellowship is we're trying to drive our theological doctrine and understanding of truth down and deepened into the experience of it. And the thing about him saying that that set me back, I've listened to a lot of his teachings. He's kind of a professorial, uh, I don't want to say solemn, but he, he's, a, he's a South Carolina guy, talks with a draw, and he's, he's very steady, just incredibly gifted as an expositionist. And when he said that, it struck me, because it's not like him to say something like that, I thought. To get the apprehension of spiritual truth deepened into the experience of it. I could use some of that. I could use my doctrinal, my theological understandings being ever widened into my real life. And, and that's what S. Lewis Johnson was trying to capture. I mean, it's like that time when you just fall to your knees and, and you pray to God and say, oh Lord, I know you're there. I know you're my Lord. I know you've captured my heart. Lord, let me experience the deepness of the Holy Spirit residing within. So, so we're, we're looking for that sense of community, not just with God, but also with one another. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to move quickly. <laughs> How does biblical fellowship create fullness of joy? That's the title of our class. How does biblical fellowship create fullness of joy? The goal of the class will be to better understand and practice biblical fellowship, which will result in more complete joy. And, and don't worry, we're going to define that term fellowship here in just a moment. And then as a result, hopefully our shared response to our teaching would be in, in these axes. And this may look very basic to you, 
This may look something that is even presumptuous, presumptuous, and you may say, well, I already engage in exalting the Savior. I'm already very much engaged in the sanctity of my own personal walk in life, in my communion with God and one another. And I also do understand the precision nature of, of humiliating or humbling myself before a holy God when I sin, whether it be in thought or in deed, and also when people in my life are sinning and need to be confronted with their sin, especially believers. You see, these are all elements of our fellowship, of our koinonia. Finding complete joy in fellowship. What I'd like to do is, is talk briefly about forsaken fellowship and with the handout going going out now, you'll see where we're going. We're going to six key points, and that will be the vast majority of our time. But I'd like to make some comments about the name of this equip class first, and then after that, we will go into um, the main portion of our study, which will be the six biblical points in understanding fellowship. Yeah, I've had, I think, two or three people come up to me and say, what's up with the name of this equip class, Forsaken Fellowship? What does that make you think of, Forsaken Fellowship? Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, and go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, and let me guide you through a passage briefly, just by way of further understanding this equip class title, uh, hoping that this would bring it to light. Hebrews chapter 10, pick it up in verse 19. Um, my section in the epistle to the Hebrews is titled, A New and Living Way. And I guess before I read this section, I'll just make a couple more maybe general comments about the state of the church today. Um, many of us are looking around the, let's say, the landscape of the community of Christ as advanced through his church building, and, and we see many issues and problems, do we not? Many broken fellowships, many forsaken fellowships. As a matter of fact, many people drift in and out of this body of Christ seeking for that church, that church that's going to meet their needs, that's going to be inspirational, that's going to provide them with the things that they are hunting for, looking for. And, and I'm not saying that there's no nobility to that effort, because we ought to be diligent in finding a church that holds to the fidelity of the scripture, that has the right, that has the correct polity, that sees things like glorifying God, making disciples, sharing the love of God, at the forefront of the church's existence, yes, yes, and yes. But as you look around this room here this morning, do you not see a bunch of sinners? We all struggle with not thinking rightly about our dear beloved church members, our fellow companion brothers and sisters in Christ. Certainly we know this in the area of family and friends. 
whenever we gather up with family or, and friends, it seems like the old wounds, the old scars, the old patterns of behavior, they're just recycled and they come up again. Sadly, we bring that baggage into the church today. And then you overlay that with technology today. There was a season where um, screens were getting bigger, bigger and bigger TVs, projectors, larger screens. Now, and, and the good thing about large TVs and larger screens is at least you're there with a group watching it, right? Today, now our screens are small, and these devices that we have ever and always before us, just, they just capture us. And, and we're so transfixed with, with our phones and finding ourselves expressed through this medium of technology and all the different social media. I mean, even last night up in Cottleville with, with Diane, I marveled at the number of people in that little kind of town center. We were there playing pickleball, but they have a band there, a big green area with people picnicking and eating and drinking and eating and drinking. And we went up there, we were done with our pickleball and all these food trucks were along the way and we thought, well, hey, that looks good. So I wandered down and got us some salads from one of the food trucks and yeah, we just stood there, but I, I couldn't help but marvel at the number of people that were transfixed with their phones, even though they were all sitting in community with others. They were sitting at tables. You've seen this in restaurants, I'm sure, where family groups are together, even couples, and there's very little sharing, very little koinonia, very little fellowship going on. That's the world that I give you, and it's crept into the church. The thing about how it presents in the church is that it may not be quite as brazen quite as nasty, but it does look like people coming into church staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half and then walking out of the door and saying that that was my fellowship. It's easy to do. You don't really have to talk to anybody around, or if you do, you could exchange niceties. And let's face it, there isn't a lot of time availed either side of church service to do that kind of thing, even if you're an equip, equip member we have a limited amount of time in which to share life. So there are implications of that, and we're going to talk about that over the course of today and then for the next four weeks. This is a very important, vital subject, and, and I hope and pray that, um, like you, um, my heart would be further encouraged into higher and higher levels of sanctity in this area of sharing and community in the body of Christ. Okay, back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. A new and living way is the heading I have. <clears throat> Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. I'm just going to stop right there and make a comment. What the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is extremely profound and has direct linkages with where we're going in 1 John. When you start talking about things like propitiatory sacrifice or the advocacy in the ministry of Christ, when you start talking about community with God, recognizing, my dear brothers and sisters, that we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. There's no more veil a new and living way, which he inaugurated 
for us through the veil that is his flesh. That is, we have opportunity to fellowship with God, not just on the joyful side, but in dealing with our, with our prevarications and our sin. And our community with God is transcendent in both of those areas. And oh my, what a virtuous way from which to live and build your own life in community with God, but also with one another. Knowing that you can go to God, the veil's open, and say, oh Lord, forgive me for having those thoughts. Forgive me for what I said. Oh Lord, I need encouragement in these areas. It's like a son going to a father and asking for a toy. And, and the son knows his birthday is coming up and he knows he'll likely get the toy. He goes to his daddy expecting to get that toy. When you go to God, you know the Lord's going to answer your prayer. He's going to. So we have this exhortation to do that, continuing. And since, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we commune with God, we ought to have, I've heard it said short accounts, I don't like that. I like no account balance in the sin register. That I have just said, Lord, I'm yours. Even, Lord, sins that you know about that are not coming to my mind, I lay them at your feet and beg your forgiveness. What a powerful place from which we can lead the Christian life. But I also want you to notice something in verse 22. Full assurance of faith. That has a direct tether, again, back to 1 John. Isn't that interesting? 1 John, this book on community, this book about a, a church in Ephesus that was torn apart, the Gnostics versus the true believers. And the Apostle John happened to, happened to be bearing witness to all this by the grace of God. And he wrote this wonderful five-chapter book of 1 John. Here in Hebrews, in chapter 10, in the area of community and fellowship, we see assurance being brought up as very central to our community life. And if we live lives that are uncertain relative to our position to come before Daddy and ask for that toy, or to lay our sins and petitions at his feet and know that he's got them, is not a proper way to commune with a holy God. He wants us there with boldness, 1 John chapter 3. He wants us there with decisiveness, a sincere heart, knowing that he will wash us clean. And then finally, verses 23 and 24 and 25 here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate, how to exhort, how to encourage one another, one another, see that term there, one another, to love and good deeds. And then finally, we get to the answer to the question, why is this equip class named Forsaken Fellowship? Verse number 25. Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging, there it is again, one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Does anybody know the answer to the question? I'm going to go back and touch on a few things in this particular uh, section of scripture, but does anybody know what he is referring to when he talks about the day drawing near? 
Thank you. Yep, the rapture of the church. And, and do we all collectively see that day drawing near? Oh, yeah. How is it so? Indeed. Any other thoughts or comments? How do we know? How do we know that we're seeing this day drawing near, Steve? Everything that is projected prophetically with regards to the end time is unfolding before our very eyes. Yeah. And really, the world is not falling apart. Everything for us is coming together. Yeah, I love that. It's a matter of perspective and proper biblical worldview. Go in your Bibles really quick, and we're going to make this fast. I just want to show you something that speaks to what our brother Steve just shared. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I just want to ask you a quick question to really make this point clear. None of this ought to surprise us, first off. And if somebody comments to you how badly families are doing, how badly our government is doing, how badly churches are doing, would you please draw them to the attention that, yeah, none of this is outside of the bounds of what we know in his revelation. 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of... Just full stop right there. We don't need to go any further. We are so self-absorbed. I am so self-absorbed. I am so consumed with my stupid 401k. At least you have one, With all due respect to wonderful people who pursue you know, their, their vocation in, vocation, in, uh, in finance and, and counsel people in finance. I, I just, you know, these kinds of things that we hold fast to. We were talking about homes this morning. Diane brought up how there was a seven-acre plot of land somewhere in Wildwood. We live on a hill, and I don't envision myself marching up and down our hill, shoveling the driveway, cutting the grass without my body physically falling apart in the next 10, 20 years, um, Lord willing. And so we're looking around, just scanning, and there's a seven-acre plot with a small home that Diane went, went for the price of what? $707,000. Yeah, a little home. 1,300 square foot. And then she said, even the lot, seven acres. I said, well, at least it's seven acres. But she says it was long and skinny. You can see your neighbors next door. It's like, ah. Oh. So these are the things that so preoccupy my thoughts and my attention. These are the things that, oh, where are we going to live? How am I going to manage this hill when I'm old and gray? What about the shoveling, the leaf raking, blah, 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 blah. Stop. Stop. We have such a better thing to think about. All of this is passing away. It's so vaporous. We all know this to be true. We know this to be true, thankfully. Um, where was I? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast. And I, I want you to notice the, the personal pronouns here. Let us hold fast. This is a team effort. This isn't a you only, me only effort. This is we need one another to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Do we not have a faithful God? Amen. 
Amen. We have such a faithful God holding true to his, to his promises, as our brother Steve was just mentioning. We know he's going to hold true to these promises. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Here is from where this equipped class has its name. Forsaking just means to move apart from, to cut oneself away from the Lord on the cross. Why, God, have you forsaken me? This, this is something that we engage in doing willingly with his bride, the church, and the community of one another when we forsake, when we set aside the community of the body life of our church. Please, yeah. Sorry. Going back to forsaken, Father, yeah. I don't think what you're saying and we are seeing hints of NCC having that sense of forsaking fellowship. I don't necessarily, I'm not get, guessing it's not for this reason that there is even a hint that we are seeing this in the church. Do you mean that, Ruben? In not, not so much well, I, I, I agree. Our church is like an oasis. Okay, thank you. I also would agree, I, I think I'm agreeing with you in that there are still issues with fellowship in, in Koinonia under this roof. Mm -hmm. Would that be accurate? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm very new here. I'm, okay. I'm just guessing that we are, this specific class was not intended to remind the church of any hint of us forsaking Okay. No, no. Okay. I think I'm tracking with you now. So I, I, would, I would just comment to you. Go ahead, Doug, please. Well, I, I'm, I just had a conversation <clears throat> with a gentleman yesterday um, who I haven't seen in a long time. And I said, where, where have you been? In a loving way, I didn't say, where have you been? I said, where, where have you been? And he said, well, we've been doing it online. And I said, that's not good enough. Looking at bald heads live stream and then turning your thing off in your living room is not gathering together. It's impossible to do face-to-face. -face. It's impossible to do one another's. So it does happen in this church. It does. And I had to encourage that, that man, no, no, that's not the way you do church. You come back. And yeah. And, and Ruben, I, I don't disagree with you know the tenor of what you're saying. Doug, you're absolutely right. I see it regularly, too, just in meetings with people and dialoguing with people and seeing the loneliness. I remember a, a man who's recently dearly departed after years of attending this church uh, asked Pastor Jerry in a room full of other men, I don't feel the warmth of community and friendship here at New Community Church. Now that man is with the Lord today and I know for a fact he would not have said that over the last two years of his being in community with his church. Uh, so, yeah, but no. Does that make sense? Cool. And this is a work effort here. We're not going to arrive this side of glory in operating at a biblical level of fidelity to our koinonia, our fellowship. We're just not going to arrive in heaven. We'll be there. Jeremiah? Yeah, I would just simply say, too, that obviously uh, those that are in a Obviously, this is, um, we can excel still more, but we're probably, uh, let me just say it because I'm sitting in one of the chairs with you, but we're the cream of the crop. Uh, we, we are seeking to be obedient to these things.
but it is also our opportunity and responsibility to do as Doug did yesterday and say, hey, brother, sister, I haven't seen you. Where are you? Because there are those folks in the church. So where the application may not be directly to us, like I'm forsaking fellowship, there are those in one frame or another, in one sense or another, that are forsaking that fellowship. And it's not just to the paid guys or to those holding you know, some kind of office in the church to go after those folks. It's, it actually means much more when just the lay person, the friend, says, hey, where have you been? I missed you. Uh, they expect that from me, right? Uh, but when it's just another brother or sister in Christ saying, hey, uh, we need you. We miss you. Where are you? Uh, and that's just, we're just kind of talking about church attendance at that point, right? Uh, but as we'll talk about in the rest of the class over the next few weeks, there's so much more to it than that. We're scratching the surface. Yeah. We haven't even begun. As I look around this room, I see so many people who are so incredibly gifted with different perfectly kind of executed in a very much of what Jeremiah said last week, an imago deo, an image-bearing quality of perfect, unique architecture through which you minister to the body of Christ, to one another through which you contribute to the, to the building up of the structure, that the foundation is, is the word of God, communicated by the apostles, communicated by the prophets. The foundation stone, the corner stone, is the Lord himself. And we're in this project together. And if any of us is missing from either the body or the construction project, it ain't right. It's not right. So we need to be here. We need each other. And we all have a perfect little hole in which to plug in. Uh, go ahead. I think you were next, Hillary. I was just going to say, I, th um, I was just talking to Corey about this last, um, before class, but I think even though like, you know, I'm singing in church on Sundays and I'm still here doing things, I can do my thing and then move on to the next thing. And so even though I'm not forsaking the assembly of being here, sometimes I can just be ready to do my next thing in the day and not like engaging in a good fellowship way with people because I'm, you know, being selfish and wanting to be. So I was convicted of that last week. Like, yeah, I'm here, but am I actually caring about other people more than myself in my schedule for the day? And I, that was convicting. Thank you for sharing, my dear sister Hillary. That's why we're here. We're going to study this, we're going to learn this discipline and we're gonna apply it. And, and this isn't gonna end with this six-week session. There's so much here to mine in the real spiritual vitality of the Christian life. And there's something I wanna comment on from James Montgomery Boyce related to what you said. But before I do that, Steve, you had a comment. Sorry. Did I not see another comment somewhere? Okay, <laughs> sorry, I crossed up my, go ahead. <laughs> Did I point the wrong way? <laughs> I saw a hand go up and lost my bearing.
gives us then an opportunity to have fellowship together and to enjoy the body of Christ. And uh, things like that, the golf outing and, and whatever, not, not just men's activities, women have too, but just to get really intentional yeah. as opposed to just no, amen. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Any other comments, thoughts on this? Please. Well, just picking up about being intentional, um, this verse, these verses became very important at the beginning of COVID in 2020 for the churches that were um, filled with people who had uh, saving faith. I mean, it was really their banner to open the church because it was important that they actually assemble together yeah. in the passage here in verse 24 that word consider are you familiar with Rodin's most famous sculpture the thinker. the thinker and what's he doing he's thinking down he's thinking down he's thinking hard that's what this means to consider to think down on really really hard how to jab one another like our brother Doug was engaging in how to jab one another, Hillary, on a, I don't mean that in a negative context, but, yeah. <laughs> well, how about sweet Hillary, you know, coming alongside of somebody and sharing the love of God? Yeah. <laughs> and the term assembling together really has to do with the essence of koinonia, of fellowship as is the habit of some. That's an interesting word, it's ethos in the original language. It just means as is the ethic of some to avoid one another. You get into these habitualized ways of doing church and it's extra biblical, like we were talking about with the COVID thing. No, we need one another. We need eyes on eyes, hearts on hearts. We need to hug each other when we're going through different seasons in life. All of this is the, the stock and trade, the community of the community of Christ, okay? Um, so we encourage one another. That, that word strengthen one another, again, all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we stay so self-absorbed in our culture, that's gone off the rails. Boy, do we need this. We need this. Okay, moving right along. Uh, forsaken, abandoned, given up, renounced. Fellowship. Sharing, encouraging, common partaking, acting together in the faith. It's from a Greek word, koinonia. There's a noun form and a verb form. The verb form is used about 18, 19 times. The noun form is used about 30 times in the New Testament. But they all have this common thread of unity, common partaking, acting together in the faith. And then we are going to go right through this because we don't have time. Understanding fellowship and its practice. These are the six points for us to study today. The basis of fellowship is our first topic. Next is nature of fellowship. You've got all these on your sheet, I believe, right? This is largely pulled out of. These six points are pulled out of a sermon I'd encourage you to listen to. It's uh, sermon code 1263. If you don't know what that means or need help, let me know. It's on grace to you, given by Dr. John MacArthur. So I want to make sure that you know from where these points originated. I'm going to throw this question out. It's a big one. It's important. How's that for stress? The hands going up all over the place. What is the basis 
of fellowship? What is, what is the foundation? Upon what do we build our commonality, our sharing life together? We got to get this right, don't we, dear brothers and sisters? On what is it exactly that we are building our koinonia? Personal contact. Personal contact, okay. Anything else? The cornerstone. The cornerstone, Jesus Christ, excellent. Our love for God. It should be overflowing. Yeah, yeah, very good. It should be so much that it overflows. But, but we can get fickle there, don't you agree? Can we get fickle with our love for God and one another? And what I mean by that is it, it can go wrong at times. I, I'm not saying that you're not making a good point, my dear I sister. Do. You are. Thank you, yes. Yes, but it is true. Our love of God and love of the brethren, I mean, that's, that's the great commandment that the Lord uh, gives in John 13, 34, 13, 35, where, where pastor's going. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you have love, that you have love one for another. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples. So yes, the love is, again, kind of the stock and trade. Another comment? Um, putting the word of God in action. Putting the word of God in action would be the basis of our, remember, this is the, what is the basis of our fellowship. All of this is great, by the way. Good answers, Reuben. Uh, just recalling what our last week's session was from Pastor Jeremiah, who is that we believe in a triune God who shows us a model for relationship in fellowship. I think fundamentally that is what is the basis of why we are even having this. Very good, Reuben. Thank you. First John. Everybody go to First John chapter 1, if you would, kindly. <clears throat> Let's land this jet. What is the basis of our fellowship? This section of Scripture really contains the answer to the question. And uh, we're going to lean into this. It's a great complement to the Hebrews passage, as I had said. Um, just a, a comment or two on, on the predicate for the epistle. John probably wrote this around the year 90. Uh, again, it was a conflicted, separated church dealing with people who were operating, trying to engage sinful practice within the construct of the church. And I mean what we would consider debauched sin. Um, these people claim to have a higher knowledge, a set-apart special wisdom, uh, like an eon from God, and they were... They were well aware of their inner essence with God, but it was at its core, this, this Gnosticism was, it was dualism. It was Platonic in its root, and it meant this. It meant that, hey, what we do in our body in a fleshly, in a material way, if that's sinful, Jimmy Crackhorn and I don't care. You know, because that's just my material side, which is all fallen anyway. Whereas my spirit is in communion with God. Okay, So they bifurcated the word of truth by pulling together this notion of sinful allowance in a material sense with walking in the discipline and the fear of the admonition of the Lord in a spiritual sense. And this had broken into a controversy that no other than an elder apostle still this side of glory was able to speak into and now we get to read these words to understand the basis of our fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, 
what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. One other comment on the nature of this, this abhorrent philosophy, which, by the way, is alive and well with us today. It's very much alive today. A little bit different in form and shape, but remember, the devil's a shapeshifter. He shifts throughout the millennia, in this case, or even decades. Um, because of this notion of spiritual and materialism and the bifurcation made, the Lord God could not have physically walked among us. We couldn't have physically touched him. What is the apostle saying? He bears witness. He was a fact witness. He was there with the Lord Jesus Christ. He touched the Lord. He heard his message. Look at verse 2. And the life was manifest manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim. So this is a proclamatory, this is, this is like a gospel-centric uh, comment. I'm, I'm, I'm expounding this to you. I'm telling you about the eternal life. The eternal life. There I give you the basis of our fellowship. It is eternal life. It transcends the here and now. Whether or not you realize it, we're all going on to glory and our position, this isn't so much a quality of time as much as it is a quality of position before a holy God, consummated as Jeremiah so aptly spoke to last week in John 17. This, we're caught up in this love exchange perfectly modeled to us by a triune God, and, and we're in the midst of that, people. <laughs> yeah. A, a truly staggering thought to think of. Eternal life. <clears throat> this is the proclamation. Which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You see, the Lord pulls together his physical being, his perfect godly attributes, as well as his message, his good news proclamation, so beautifully through the pen, the inspired pen of the Apostle John. This is the foundation stone, the cornerstone of our fellowship, our shared eternal life. And then finally, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim, there's that word again, to you also, so that you too may have koinonia, fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. Um, the, the, the tense, my understanding, I'm not a Greek exegete or anything, but my understanding of the tense of this is in the same way that the Apostle John saw and walked with the Lord and shared life with the Lord, we get to do the same thing today. That's a staggering thought. And sadly, oftentimes we don't execute like we can or should. You see, there's this reflection of our perfect, of that perfect love that God gives us through his son, the veil being torn. We now are brought into this family and it flows down from heaven, from God, through, through the Lord Jesus Christ. It in, he embeds the Holy Spirit in us. The person of the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers. And then what do we get to do? Go out on the horizontal and share fellowship one with another. So there's this vertical side and the horizontal side, all played up in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. No, the answer 
absolutely is eternal life. It's, it's this whole notion of salvation. Um, strictly speaking, fellowship is not experiential. Think about that. Really, hold it. Fellowship is not experiential, not in terms of its basis. No, it's not experiential. Oh, we may have fickle sensibilities as it relates to our assurance on any given day, depending on how life is walking out. But um, nope, it is positional. It is absolute. Your eternal life is a free gift of God, not given by anything you've done, but purely as a gift of God. And it is absolute. It, it comes from him. And there's nothing you can do to lose it if you're truly redeemed. Nothing you can do to lose it. This is assurance. You have eternal life. This is the stock and trade of what we share, the basis of our fellowship. 1 Corinthians 6.17, He that is joined to the Lord is one in spirit. In, in these sequences, a passage of, of John that um, Pastor Rich is going through now, oh, we're going to see this in technicolor. Lean into where he's going with this whole upper room discourse. It's going to light you up. This is going to light you up. Can a person fall out of fellowship? Question. put and um, yeah point well made well taken and you're not your RPM is registering spot-on with where we're going I, I think it's foundationally very important however that we do get the answer to this question right and perhaps I should frame the question with a little bit more clarity in fairness here can a person fall out of community with God with fellowship with God church and walk out, one of the things we pray about before we get out of the car is, Lord, help us to find somebody we can encourage today. 
And we don't really do that. We pray that way. But I'm not as intentional as I should be. So that's my answer. No, very, very good. Yeah. Positionally, it's a done deal. And I think we'd all agree to that. It's a sense of really understanding the profundity and depth of that and then expressing that in our communal life, knowing that, that, that salvation, that eternal life, that the Lord's work is a completed, done deal. So the answer is no. A true, a true called, indwelt person of God cannot fall out of the fellowship. Well, how do you explain somebody, like, like even our brother Doug was approaching yesterday. How, how do you explain someone that does not seem to have fellowship or even those thoughts as you walk out into the parking lot as Dave just mentioned? How, how do you explain that? Go to the very next verse. 1 John chapter 1 verse 4. John uses this, this um, expression often, these things we write. So it's a time to pay attention. This whole book was written based on Theologians believe 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is not playing fast and loose with the truth. John wrote this whole book so that we would know that we have the assurance of having eternal life. So here again we have this, these things we write so that, again another term that the apostle uses frequently. So there's a reason why he's writing these things. Our joy may be made complete. And that's one of the topics for this class. How can our fellowship build into more complete joy? As a matter of fact, how do you explain someone who does not seem to have fellowship? Lacking in joy. A joy deficit. David in Psalm 51, verse 12, said, Restore unto me the joy, the joy of my salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. He didn't say, Restore unto me my community with God. He didn't say, Change my position relative to you, O Father in heaven. No, he asked for the joy of his salvation to be expressed in his spiritual life, in his real life. Um, we've got to go. <laughs> Next point. Uh, what is the nature of our fellowship? What is the nature of our fellowship? And I've got way too much showing here, don't I? <laughs> I gave you the answer. That was meant to be a question. <laughs> Did anybody pay attention? <laughs> it, it is our shared togetherness. This is where the unity, my, my brother Court gave me a call earlier in the week. He lent me a book about a year ago, which, by the way, is a wonderful book. I showed it to Pastor Rich. He said, that does look like a good book on the Holy Spirit. Um, he, he was familiar with the author. And uh, he said, are you going to talk? Court had asked me if we're going to dive into this whole one to another discussion. And, and I encouraged him. I said, oh, we will, you know, at least in a general way. One heart, one mind. One mouth. Do you understand in the body of Christ, we're all just parts of the body of Christ? And we're not to look down upon the different parts. We were commenting a little bit about spiritual gifting and equipping. And there's so much of that in this room here today. And there's so much that you are, in fact, being used of the Lord in kingdom building. And, and you may not even know it, but you are. 
You're doing it. You're holding fidelity to your gifting. So don't just view this as a body slamming class. Oh, I'm so bad at koinonia and fellowship. Ah. Like Jeremiah had said, he said it, so I'll go ahead and say it again. We're all operating here, as I look around this room, to the extent that I know you, at a, at a pretty high level of holding fidelity, having strong conviction to the faith. Um, and it's a great place to be. Togetherness is experiential. Salvation, eternal life is positional. Don't get that, don't get that messed up. Our notion of togetherness would be distinguishable from our position, which is unchangeable. Oh boy, this is such good scripture. Um, I think I'm going to leave this to Pastor Jeremiah uh, next week. He's going to dive into this passage. But I, I, again, I just call you back to this whole notion of building, of body life, um, being with, and then allowing this to change us and impact our lives. Very important, and that Acts passage we don't have time to get into, but it, it does a great job of expounding on that and what that looks like. And then the opposite of being together is in First John. Just quickly flip the page. It's only a few pages away in your Bible. Look at that verse. First John 2.19, they went out from us. Again, you understand who John's talking about here. He's talking about these, these aberrant thinkers, these practicers who are not truly of the fabric positionally, he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. And this should be heartbreaking for us when this happens. Our interest is to see them here. Even though they may be tares here among the weak, we want them under the word of God and hearing its proclamation. And we want to do the things that I had mentioned at the beginning of the class. Confronting their sin, calling it sin, loving them, you know, demonstrating to them through our fellowship the love of Christ so that they will know that we're followers of Jesus Christ. Well, there, yeah, we must be, be vigilant for the tares among the weed as they can debilitate the church. They negatively impact the vitality and the strength of the church. What does new community do practically to foster togetherness and limit the negative impact of the tares? How can our thinking be the same? Let me ask you this. Is it realistic? I look at this room. What do we have, 40, 50 people in here? Can we all think the same? Should we all think the same? Is it even possible? We're all... Snowflakes? <laughs> Got to be careful about throwing that one out there today. <laughs> I've heard other people say it, so I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> we're unique, okay? We're all, we're all unique. Is it possible for us to think the same? Is this unrealistic? Is it, is it even possible? I, I, I'm going to say, on, obviously, we're all individual. We're all, we're all patterned by God in these unique ways. But... Based upon the word of God, there is, oh, I had a perfect scripture passage for this. Um, yeah, I think it was this. Yeah, here we go. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Don't go there. Now I exhort you, brethren. Remember what Paul's dealing with. This is in the introduction to this wonderful book to a church that are... Is this church in Corinth doing well? 1 Corinthians chapter 1? No, it's a mess. It's a bifurcated, following different people, sinfulness. What does Paul say in verse 10 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians? Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. In the same mind and in the same judgment. You see, there's biblical warrant here for like-mindedness in our community, in our fellowship. So enough with the cowboy stuff, enough with, well, I see it a different way, when it comes to the foundational truths of the Word of God. Does that make sense? It's, it's part of the predicate. The nature of our fellowship is a shared togetherness, and it is not unrealistic for us to have this, yet operate individually in our own giftedness, in our own execution of it, in our own growing, wherever we may be. But then lovingly come along a brother and saying, hey, look, I see this in your life, or here's an area where I want to encourage and help you because I've just seen the tremendous work you're doing over here. This is all part of the dynamic. And wow, do I got to go. What is the symbol of our fellowship? This is so cool. It is communion. It is the cup and bread. The symbol of our fellowship is our communion together. And how is this the symbol? And why is it the symbol? It's because it reminds us of the basis of our koinonia. The Lord calls us to remembrance of what he, done, what he had done. But this isn't just an act of, a re of remembrance. What are we called to do every time we practice the symbol of our fellowship on Sundays here at church? Does anybody recall a very important act that we're encouraged and exhorted to engage in in real time? Not just looking back, but in real time. The veil's torn, short accounts. Are any of these clues? <laughs> yeah, cool. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, we're, we're going into the throne room of God. And oh yeah, we're remembering what he did by, by being obedient to this ordinance. But we're saying, oh Lord, I've prevaricated who you are making me to be in these areas throughout the last week, month, this morning, whenever I've had these thoughts, oh Lord, wash me clean, purify my heart, purify my soul. This is the symbol of our fellowship. Um, yeah, I just commented on that. What is the danger to fellowship? What is the danger to fellowship? Anybody know? Anybody hazard a educated hypothesis? What fractures a church? What divides people one from another? What, what creates friction between you and loved ones, good friends that you've had and known for years and years? And, I'm sorry? <laughs> true, yeah, true that, true that. Which, which, which candidly, without going totally political here, we don't have time, but it's, it is a result of sin. The first sin was pride. 
it is sin. What, what is the danger to our fellowship? And the answer is real simple. It's our sin and it's the sin of others. And oh, Lord God, that I might see this in myself ever more clearly. <clears throat> I, I want the Lord to illuminate my sin. Sin is my joy robber. As I look around this class, I think, you know what? We could all use more joy in life. I'm talking to myself here, too. I could use a lot less sin in my life. God cannot look upon iniquity. Pure eyes that cannot behold evil. Habakkuk 1.13. Sin impacts our ability to minister one to another. Here we go again, court. Another one to another. The biggest killer. Those in the fellowship suffer loss and lose the joy of ministering and applying your unique gifting. A sinning father cannot properly love and share life with his family. Oh, Lord, do I know this. A sinning mother cannot properly raise up her children in the way that they should go because she has a terrible prevarication going on in her life. A sinning pastor, a sinning elder, any sin, sinning servant of the body of Christ is crippled, hobbled, if not being forced to be put on the sideline by virtue of sin. And it robs from the fellowship. Much more to say, no time. What is the responsibility of fellowship? What, what say you? What is the responsibility of our koinonia together? Think of responsibility. I'll try to give you a clue here maybe. What do we do for each other? This is the practical outworking of Court's question. Hold each other up. Boom. It's the one another's. Put one another's in that long blank that seems to go on to the end of the page. The one to another's of the New Testament. And there are, I printed out a copy of them and then promptly buried it in my stack. There are, I've got at least like 80 right here. A lot of them are redundant. Love one another, love one another. First John, first John. Uh, live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Oh, there's a, st a proper place for that. But look at how we're doing it when we're engaged in censorious judgment. That's a violation of Matthew 7, right? Um, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. One another's. This is the practical responsibility of our faith. Confessing your sins one to another. This is a real effective way of dealing with sin, by the way. Telling people you have trouble in this area. Um, and, and, and I want to be careful with that because I've got that Ephesians passage in there too. It's a shame to speak of things done in secret. The mitigating side of that is, is I wouldn't stand up here and, and start blurting out all of my iniquitous dynamics. Um, but when you're meeting with somebody, fellowshipping one-on-one, -on -one, when you're discipling or being discipled, this is the area where we can help each other by confession of our sin. Um, forgiving one another, bearing with one another's burdens. Oh my, I, I, Galatians chapter 6. It's a wonderful passage. Galatians 6, 1. Even if anyone is caught up in any temptation, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking out for yourself so that you too will not be tempted bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6, 1 through 3. 
bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And there's a way to engage in restoration in operating in the one another's. And what's the result of fellowship? I write these things so that your joy may be made complete. Now, an important thing to understand about this joy, are we ever going to find complete joy this side of glory? No. In the language in the Bible, this word complete, is, it's a building towards, it's a fulfilling, it's a filling up. I write these things so that your joy may be more and more filled up. That's what the Apostle's saying. We've got this awesome koinonia, this great fellowship. And I'm writing these so that it can be, so that the tank level is just going boop, 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 and oh, it may get set back from time to time, but it's ever being filled up. And then I wanted to share one last quote. I, I know that we ended last week Sunday on a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. It's a short book, easy to read. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for those of you who don't know, was a was a pastor in the church in Germany during World War II in the up and up to World War II. He fell out of favor with the Nazis, no surprise, and was kind of cycled through the Stalags, through the concentration camps, and he was hung on the order of Heinrich Himmler, who was really Adolf Hitler's chief henchman. He was hung in April of 45, just before the war ended, sadly. And he wrote a book as he was cycled deeper and deeper into the Stalags, into the concentration camps. The Nazis knew what they were doing, by the way. They were breaking Dietrich Bonhoeffer of his community with other people. There's nobody who could come up to the fence and try to deliver him a package because they picked him out of that place and they moved him to another and then to another. And they were bifurcating him from his fellowship. He was alone. He didn't have the koinonia. And he wrote these words. The goal of all Christian community is that we meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. As such, God permits them to meet together and gives them community. Don't miss that. We have a very sweet thing going on here today, but you know what? We can't presume upon it for tomorrow. God permits them to meet together and gives them community. Nobody knew that better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is going to have a noose around his neck soon. Then he says, their fellowship is founded solely upon Jesus Christ. This is alien righteousness. All we can say, therefore, is the community of Christians springs solely from the biblical Reformation message that, just, that the justification of man through grace alone, this alone is the basis of the longing of Christians for one another. A Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. Among men there is strife. He is our peace, says Paul in Ephesians 2.14. Without Christ, there is discord. Between God and man, between man and man, Christ became the mediator and made peace with God and among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. With this, I'll end. Without Christ, we should not know God and could not call upon him nor come to him. But without Christ, we would also not know our brother, nor could we come to him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, we marvel at this doctrine, this truth, this foundational aspect of living in community. Yes, with you, as Jeremiah so eloquently spoke about a week ago, but now as we go on the horizontal level, how that flows out operationally into our shared life one with another. Oh, Lord, what a marvel, what a gift. May our hearts rejoice. 
pray for Pastor Rich as he gives the sermon again. I pray that his teaching, Lord, would enlighten our hearts and inflame our hearts and give us appetites for more and more so that we might live for you. We pray all these things through your son. Amen. Amen.